One question I'd have to tee up at the end of this interview, what the heck does 9-11 have to do with deep spirituality? That was the question Alex Akira posed at the end of my interview on the Skeptical podcast. Well, over on the Skeptical forum, the challenge was taken up by today's guest, Daniel Luxton, who sent me this video on Back to the Future, made by a fellow called Joe Alexander. In the 1985 classic Back to the Future, at a scene called the Twin Pines Mall, we will bear witness to a sudden surprise terrorist attack, perpetrated by a group of Muslim terrorists. The attack is at the Twin, which is a reference to the Twin Towers. When we turn the sign upside down, the digits on the clock read 911 or 911. The Twin Pines are a symbolic representation of the Twin Towers. Before the terrorist attack, the Twins are present, but after the attack, the Twins are gone, replaced with a single pine. This takes place on 9-11, where the Twins are destroyed and replaced with a single tower, the One World Trade Building. The Pines are the Towers, and this symbol system is confirmed in Back to the Future Part 2, where we see the Twin Pines appear again on a projection movie screen in Marty's future house. Marty's family gathers around the movie screen, and the Twin Pines actually morph into the Twin Towers. Now, I've seen these kind of things before, where it's claimed that novels or movies foreshadow future events often in relation to 9-11. They go right back in time too. For example, there was a novel written in 1898 about a ship called the Titan, a giant ship which sank in April in the North Atlantic after hitting an iceberg, 14 years before the Titanic did just that. Oh, and just like the Titanic, passengers drowned through lack of lifeboats. I'm never sure what to do with these claims. Whilst I'm certainly open to them having an explanation other than coincidence, I've no idea how we will go about establishing that. It seems like to even talk about them is to risk a slippery slope into nonsense, seeing patterns where they just don't exist. However, Daniel's information was different. Predictions of the future aside, he provided a really deep and perfectly grounded analysis of Back to the Future. From commenting about the film's effect on society, to themes drawn from Greek myth, the tarot, and Shakespeare's plays, my appreciation of the depth of these wonderful films grew immensely. And I think that provides a really solid ground to engage with the more far-out story that would challenge anyone's sense of reality. So I invited Daniel onto the show to talk about Back to the Future and his wider interest in symbolism and synchronicity. The four videos of the analysis of Back to the Future are linked to below you might want to pause this interview at some point and watch them. You won't be disappointed. Here's Daniel starting off by telling us how he came to take this interest. So and I'm digging down rabbit holes, digging down rabbit holes, and I come across the Back to the Future, you know, predicts 9-11 video. What kind of, you know, reality do I live in where this is possible? And I, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but it kept cropping back up in my life. You know, uh, I would say like a week later, uh, you know, I think it was like Cinemax was running all three Back to Back to the Future movies like all weekend long. I was like, oh, well, maybe I should check this out, you know. So I started watching them and watching them with the you know more cautious eye uh, that I had learned from uh, uh, the uh, Back to the Future predicts 9/11 video, and my mind was blown with uh, just 
everything that is in Back to the Future, not just a a, a 9-11 predictive element, but uh, I think a, a, a Donald Trump predictive element. And then I, I also think Back to the Future has this message of pop culture's ability to shape and influence the masses. Um, and and I, I think Back to the Future tells this story pretty pretty clear through the election of of several presidents, Kennedy, uh, Reagan specifically, and surprisingly Donald Trump. Yeah. Okay. Do, can I just make an interjection? And that's what I found sure. very interesting sure. about your points that we we've gone in right at the the, the extreme end of like Back to the Future predicts nine eleven and, right. and references right, right, right. video. Um, but what I found fascinating. This, what did you think of the video? What did you think of the Back to the Future? Well, okay, I'll tell you exactly what I thought about it. Like I I'm not totally adverse to that stuff but i am pretty resistant because someone shows a picture of a clock pointing to 9 and 11 in a film in 1985 or something or 1972 and i'm not thinking that's prediction i'm thinking like there's a million clocks and a million films which don't do that of course but i have course. this innate resistance and um, but what i love in, in all the stuff i do is when you can move from something grounded to something more far out and what i loved about those videos and, and the information you've sent me is it starts at this like very, very sensible, yet fascinatingly interesting stuff about the more mundane um, points that Back to the Future make, is making, right? Not that they're mundane, but they're mundane compared to predicting the future. So things Absolutely. like, I mean, what one point is just the symbolism of every time the DeLorean um, moves through time, it's always just about to crash into a, a cinema screen of some kind, okay? And there's something about touching the screen in this. And when you touch a screen, like in um, the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, I think it's symbolic of you see that right, you're in an artificial right, reality. Right, 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 oh, it's right, a screen, right, okay? So that right. stuff, and, and a million other things that are really like, I, I rewatched Back to the Future, and I've always loved those films. They always had this touch of magic to them. But I had such a deeper appreciation, right, of, um, of the level of symbolism in them and the relationship to Greek myths. And um, then you, you pointed out the Hamlet connection, um, in, particularly in the second one, how the films are almost perfectly symmetrical. So there, there's a... Um, all the events leading up to the midpoint of the second film are mirrored after that, in, in, really precisely. And, and um, yeah, that stuff. Let and me, then, let me even add this: at the the opening scene of Back to the Future, the very opening scene of Back to the Future, it, it's clocks ticking. Yeah, and, hmm. and I think that's interesting in and of itself. And that you know the pendulums are swinging back to the fourth, and you hear the. So, uh, and I see that as even symbolic, as as you know, we're about to do do something to your mind here, right? Uh, but there's there's hanging on a depiction of the clock tower in in the you know wall of clocks is Doc Brown mm. in the little hat and in the overcoat. So it's that well rounded, and that in the very beginning of the story, the end of the story also happens. So it, it, it even brings into question like what is time? You know, has this already ha happened? And how, how how could it not have been, you know, if it wasn't, you know, how could they have had a clock with Doc Brown hanging from the, from, from the, uh, uh, um, uh, the hand, you know, the, yeah. the minute hand, yeah. had, had it not been, uh, yeah, had, had this not already happened. So, uh, and frankly, just even the opening scene to Back to the Future itself is, is incredibly interesting, right? So you've got the, the, the clocks and the pendulums, you've got Doc Brown, and then you've got this kid. Um, and I remember as a kid, I was I was mesmerized by by Marty McFly. He was he was cool. Uh, he he was he was, yeah. Uh, he was. I I imitated him, you know, like playing a playing a plastic uh, golf club like a guitar, jumping off, you know. It, uh, so 
you see this kid coming in on the skateboard. He's got his earphones in. He's got an electric guitar. You know, he's cool, right? So yeah. you're instantly drawn to this character and a skateboard. His skateboard slides and it hits a plutonium box. Or it hits the, what you see is, is, is the you know, radioactive uh, symbol, right? And the newscast starts. And it, I sent you a couple of links to the Conan O'Brien Hmm. Uh, uh, newscasters agree and I, I don't know if this is a phenomenon in the UK as well but here in the US it's scary the level of scripting in, in local newscasts right uh, to, to the point that all across the country it doesn't matter if it's an ABC, NBC, CBS uh, Fox or whomever the local news they all have the same talk, talking points and they all in, in unison can Mike Myers says yeah baby Mike Myers says yeah baby you know Mike Myers uh, announced he's expecting another child. And uh, I was checking out the local news. Local news found a really unique way to tell the story. Mike Myers says, yeah, baby. 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 Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's trouble. You know, the first time I saw that, the arms, uh, you know, the, the hair on the back of my arms started raising. Like, That's scary. That is very scary. So consider that with the local news story in Back to the Future, it, it pops on. It says, you know, the, the uh, authorities are saying that, that there was a break-in at the plutonium place, but the FBI is saying not to worry. It was not the terrorists that have been claiming this. It's just, you know, a miscount or whatever the crap, you know. But so the local news is already lying to you about, uh, about these terrorists, right? And the fact that our local news is scripted, it really, it really sends up red flags, right? So um, there's that. And then, so like, let me get into where back to, I mean, none of this is even, even pertinent if, if we don't understand like where Back to the Future came from and the like major wholesale changes in the script. Uh, oh, okay. uh, after after five weeks of shooting, right? So, um, I, Back to the Future actually kind of began with a joke between uh, Zemeckis and Gale, right? Just just explain uh, to the audience who they are, please. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, Robert Zemeckis and, and Bob Gale were the writing team uh, responsible for Back to the Future. Zemeckis okay. uh, uh, directed the film. Okay, so Bob Gale uh, finds his dad's uh, yearbook. Um, and he finds out his dad was class president. He didn't know this. It, it like blows his mind. He's like, what the hell else didn't I know about my dad, you know? And he starts to thinking, you know, like, I would, I would, I would uh, love to know what he was like at my age, right? So Gail and, and, and Zemeckis are talking about this, and Zemeckis drops the line, like, yeah, your dad was class president. What if your mother was a slut? You know, and uh, uh, they both ha have a laugh. Apparently, Gail's mom was a very, you know, like pious and vir virginal type of woman. So it's it's it, inside joke was pretty funny to the two of them. But I think that's pretty evident in the the two characters of of George and and Lorraine. Uh, George is is very nerdy. He's a, you know getting bullied by all the other guys uh, to the point that his dad's kind of or his son is kind of embarrassed of of what a loser his dad is. And then Lorraine, who is, you know, very uh, hard on Marty about, I don't like that girl calling you, you know, she's very mm. forward. Uh, we find out, you know, like she likes to drink whiskey and this isn't her first time to park, you know? So uh, I, I, I think that is the genesis of the whole Back to the Future story. So they pitched this idea to Columbia Pictures and uh, Columbia says, yeah, okay, write us a script. 
So uh, they write the script, bring it back to Columbia, and Columbia says, you know what, on second thought, we're not interested, right? And uh, speculation was that during the 80s, this was a time of like raunchy comedy. Um, are you familiar with the like Porky's genre? Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, that, yeah, that, that, was kind of, that was yeah. That was what was uh, selling comedy in in the right. time period that they were first pitching this. And so, um, Columbia, as well as just about every other studio, saw it as as too wholesome. You know, they were turned down over forty times. Uh, the only the only person that that did like uh, the uh, uh, screenplay was Spielberg, but um, Zemeckis and Gale had both worked with Spielberg like three other times. And they were like utter disasters, right? Oh. But Spielberg, yeah, uh, just really, really lame, crappy comedies uh, in that like late 70s, early 80s genre of cheap, crappy comedies. Um, so Zemeckis and Gale actually turned Spielberg down. They say now, um, and as I understand it, they turned him down because they didn't want to be known as, as uh, Spielberg's little projects, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So... In between this time, uh, Zemeckis gets uh, 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 the job directing Romancing the Stone, which turned out to be a huge hit, um, mm. unexpectedly a huge hit. And it puts him like in the genre of like bonafide A-list directors, you know, and, and out from Spielberg's little, I guess, protective uh, bubble, right? So they feel good about, about where they are. So they go back to Spielberg and say, let's make this movie. So Spielberg greenlights it and um, they cast it. Uh, um, Right away, they want Michael J. Fox. Um, but Michael J. Fox is doing Family Ties. Um, family Ties, uh, it was it was pretty decent hit, but Michael J. Fox was a bona fide star. And the producer of, of this new Michael J. Fox was a bona fide star. He doesn't want his, uh, his show's shooting schedule to be interrupted. So he doesn't even tell Michael J. Fox about the offer. So uh, the Back to the Future guys uh, get, uh, get together and uh, they decide on Eric Stoltz. Um, are you familiar with Eric Stoltz? I know only that he was only in the context of this that he didn't work out okay. for in the um, Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yes, years ago. But he, yeah. is, he is he is he's he is uh, Vincent's drug dealer in Pulp Fiction. Right. That that's the only other thing that I'm that I know of him in. Uh, so I've got this idea of this you know guy who's going to be Marty who turned out to be you know Vincent's drug dealer in Pulp Fiction. It's, it's pretty comical. But that's the only uh, that's the only other thing I know him in. So they get him, and um, they're going to uh, cast Claudia Wells, the, the woman who actually played uh, Jennifer. Uh, and then at the last minute, she gets picked up for a sitcom, and she has a prior obligation. She can't go. So are you familiar with the American office? Yeah, yeah. Jan, uh, Michael's boss and, you know, longtime romance. Yeah. The woman who plays her is going to be uh, um, Jennifer in the movie. So it's Eric Stoltz, oh, Quentin Tarantino, or, or, okay. or Vincent's drug dealer, and Jan from The Office are going to be Marty and Jennifer. In fact, they shoot five weeks with this team at Marty and Jennifer, and they're watching the dailies, and Spielberg says, this, this is shit, man. It's not going to work. You know, uh, we got to get Michael J. Fox. Let me see what I can do. And Spielberg, he's somebody. You know, he's a, he's a power player in Hollywood this time. So he goes back to the producers of um, uh, uh, Family Ties, and uh, says, look, I got to have Michael. Let's make it work, you know? And so they make it work in the way that they make it work. Michael shoots all morning and all day. Family Ties is like bustled over in this 
uh, um, station wagon with a bed in the back. And you sleep on the way in the bed in the back, go shoot. Uh, um, back to the future all night long go to his apartment and crash for a couple hours and then the teamster guy would drive him you know back to uh family ties in the morning right and this is the schedule for months on end uh the other end is is michael j fox is getting paid three million dollars which would this is his first big you know starring role but he was a bona fide star everybody knew mm -hmm. he was a bona fide star and three million dollars back in 1985 was a ton of money for a guy who had never done yeah, a ton of money and consider this the, the the entire budget of the film was 13 million dollars right wow. yeah 13 million dollars and michael j fox is getting three million he's getting three of that 13 so they've got him they've got their guy and they quickly realize that uh jan from the office makes michael j fox look really shrimpy you know, he yeah, looks really yeah, short yeah. relative to yeah. her. So they're like, look, we got it. We got it. We got to go with somebody else. Fortunately, their original want, Claudia Wells, her um, sitcom fell through, got canceled. So she's available again. So they got the two that they wanted, right? Um, other considerations for Doc were uh, John Lithgow and Jeff Goldblum. So you can see who they were looking for. Mm. And, and I think it's very telling that they went with Christopher Lloyd. We'll get into that for reasons sure. uh, here, here in just a little bit. But um, so when they bring Marty on at this $3 million or, or Marty, when they bring Michael J. Fox on at this uh, $3 million uh, price tag, they've really got to change the, uh, the script a lot. Um, initially the uh, reaction to get Marty from 1955 back to 1985 was going to be a nuclear reaction. Um, the, the, in fact, the movie was going to open with Marty in, in a classroom in school, you know, it's history class, and they were going to talk about the 1955 Hill Valley nuclear explosion, you know, and so Marty will have this in the back of his head, he's going to go back to the future, need to get, or go, go to the past, and need to get back to the future, and Doc's going to say, well, nobody knows where, you know, there's going to, when and where there's going to be a nuclear blast, and Marty's, we do now, you know, or whatever, uh -huh. you know, very similar to the lightning strike, but in order to do that, it was going to cost them a ton of money to set that up and make it look and make it look. I mean, for 1985, the special effects in this are, are incredible. You know, uh, the, the, you know, the DeLorean jumping into time and, and even the DeLorean's interest, uh, entrance is, is incredible. You know, the, the truck and the arms are coming down and the smoke's billowing out the out of time. You know, this was really, really well shot, but, they had to cut some money out, so they cut out the nuclear blast, and then they decide on the clock tower strike uh, with a, uh, a lightning bolt. So without that, without that decision, then none of the uh, elements of 9-11 come into play, right? Um, in fact, so, so in order to do, the original time travel device was going to be a refrigerator that was going to harness the power of this nuclear blast. Um, funny, uh, Gail and Zemeckis at some point thought, we don't want kids, you know, trapping themselves in refrigerators trying to mimic Marty. So these two guys were patently aware of the effect a movie could have on on young children, yeah. right? To the yeah. point that they, that they, you know, changed their, their device of time travel from a refrigerator and the refrigerator still possibly could have worked with it with a lightning strike and they changed it to the DeLorean because they didn't want any lawsuits mm -hmm. from kids doing what Marty did, right? So 
And the DeLorean, I think, was it was a genius choice. It's um, at the time that they're that they're in production, right? Um, they uh, John DeLorean was on trial for smuggling cocaine. So it's this futuristic, cool-looking car that's right now got this kind of outlaw status, right? And um, I think the uh, uh, the writers of, of Back to the Future wanted to put that kind of Western outlaw status. In fact, I mean, obviously, Back to the Future Three is a Western, and I think yeah. I think these guys, uh, you know, being the boomers that they were, grew up at, watching these westerns on TV. I think they liked that good guy, bad guy dynamic, but where the good guys kind of walk on the edge of, of being bad guys. Um, in fact, the, the uh, poster for uh, Back to the Future, the, you know, the release poster says, uh, you know, he's the only kid so bad he can get in trouble before he's even born, right? So they want to tag Marty as this kind of, you know, like trouble, but he's not, he's not a, he's a good kid, right? And him and Doc are, are the good guys. And it's got that very same feel as, as you know, the 1950s Westerns in that, you know, no matter what the, the, the drama is in the movie, you know the good guys are going to win, you know? And, and there's, a, there's high tension in, in all three hmm. of these films. At some point, you're like, oh, are they going to make it? Are they going to get the locomotive to go 88? You know, you, you get invested, but you know, you know they're going to make it. Yeah. You know, and I think it's also interesting considering the Doc Brown on the hand of the clock at the beginning you know they're going to make it. Or otherwise, you know, how, how is there Doc Brown at the you know, beginning of this movie? Um, but I think that harkens back to that old Western. And I think Westerns are very important uh, to these guys, being that one, they grew up on Westerns, and the commentary of actors and presidents that we'll get into, um, and Ronald Reagan, that, 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 was, that was his genre, was was you know uh, the western? I mean, he did. He was probably best known for playing the Gipper or whatever. Um, but he he played a lot of very B B level westerns. And mm. back in the eighties, we were inundated with these images of of Ronald. And he looked like the fucking Marlboro Man, you know, this good looking, handsome, older guy. He always had this red shirt and this neckerchief and his cowboy hat, riding around in these gorgeous pastures in California. Man, th this is this was the Ronald Reagan that that we saw in in uh, the 1980s America, which was the same image that he was back in 1950, you know, 1955. He was this, you know, guy who was, who was a, uh, a Western movie star, right? So, and Reagan plays a big, big role in, in Back to the Future. Um, do we want to go there? Is, is, can we just keep going there or do we need to get back? Because I could go, we, but we uh, can, I think but you, you've mentioned, um, I think we're, we're you mentioned the, the script change as being essential. So maybe right, wrap up right. anything around that and then... Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so the script change is being essential, right? So they choose the DeLorean over over the refrigerator, one, because of, of lawsuit concerns, but two, I, I, I think um, Zemeckis liked the idea of a, you know, self-contained, self-mobile time travel mm. device. Um, so they choose the DeLorean, and without the DeLorean, there's no need for... Uh, the Twin Pines Mall sequence. Hmm. There's no need to have a, you know, a vehicle, uh, you know, that's going to have this big open space in order to travel 88 miles an hour, but not be in harm's way of, of other devices. That, with a refrigerator, they could have done this in their fucking garage, you know? So um, there's also, I think, a less likelihood of how do you project a, a refrigerator through film 
when it needs to time travel. Yes, yeah, so just I, I mean, just mention what because just me, yeah, I think we, we might have mentioned that already. But the, yes. the DeLorean hits a screen every time it time travels. Right, right. It, it, it hits the photo booth and the uh, uh, first jump to time travel, and back from 1955 back to 1985, uh, he's running straight into the town theater, come back through time through the town theater. When they jump back to 1885, uh, they're out in the desert in California in what used to be a drive-in movie theater mm. and, you know, jet through the drive-in movie theater. And then Marty finds himself out in the open plain in 1885. Um, so it, it seems that in order for them to jump through time, they have to touch film. And without the DeLorean being the vehicle, or without a, a vehicle, a self-contained, self-mobile vehicle, I think it's, a lot more difficult to to find hmm. your way into into running through a, a movie screen you know in order to time travel um the, and, but like i say that also necessitates the twin pines mall motif uh but beyond that when we get out of the twin pines mall we jump to uh mr peabody and and doc says you know the twin pines mall oh it's old man peabody uh, he had the, he owned all this land as far as anybody could see, and he had this weird uh, uh, deal trying to crossbreed cross breed pines. That's why it's the Twin Pines Mall. So Marty ends up in, in Mr. Peabody's yard, and, you know, slams through the scarecrow, gets into his barn, and the Peabody family wakes up, and they're like, oh, shit, what is going on, you know? And Marty steps out. He's got his radiation suit on, and the kid's like, Dad, you know, it's an alien. Look, and he points to the comic, and the comic looks very similar to the DeLorean with the gold wing yeah. doors open. You know, which once again is just a very uh, uh, subtle homage to like science fiction's ability to to change our perception of reality. You know, in events that that we're not familiar with, right? Mm. So. Uh, they think it's in, in fact the kid says it looks like an airplane with no wings you know which i think is very telling considering the the you know the 9-11 deal so J marty the dad grabs the gun marty jumps in the in the delorean speeds off and he crashes through one of the trees and then it becomes the lone pine mall without the without the price tag of michael j fox the whole the, the story is completely different but once they get that price tag they have to they have to make you know make some budgetary changes so that's when we get the delorean that's when we get the uh clock tower strike and that's when you know the, the twin pines mall scene comes in that's when we can touch film to jump in, into the future out of the future into the past uh, so i think that for whatever reason when they saw Stoltz's performance, they come back and they had been five weeks into, into production. What I gather was Stoltz wasn't playing this off like a comedy. Stoltz saw this as a tragedy, legitimately. And so, uh, and I, I, I wonder if he, he even played it like, you know, some level like that kind of hardened, but still kind of goofy heroin addicted, you know, guy that you mm -hmm. see in, in Pulp mm -hmm. Fiction. He was great in that role. He was so good in that role. And I, and I wonder if he had some of that, like, just grizzled cynicism about, about, you know, uh, uh, what was, was, was going on. He saw that the life that Marty was coming back to in 1985 was not his own life. And, and things had changed and this was upsetting to him. Right. Where and and so the writers the writers needed to to, to lighten the spirit. And I also uh, I, I've heard that the nuclear blast was a little too heavy 
for 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 this yeah. so that they thought they, yeah. they thought this was this was a much this, this was a, a a much more comedic way to go about it mm -hmm. as opposed to you know an accidental nuclear explosion in you know southern california back in the 80s right so they make the, they make the changes to the script which at this point have that real parallel to to the events of of september 11th um so I, I, at this point, I think it's probably prudent to to discuss 9/11 symbolically, in 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 that it's bigger than just a a a terrorist. And honestly, as much as I'm a a firm believer in you know some sort of insider collusion and and there, there were obvious you know obvious things going on back to the for, for back to the future to be telling us what it's telling us about 9-11 it doesn't have to even be an inside job but if it's not an inside job the coincidences in mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. what back to the future is telling us the the astronomical probability of these coincidences becomes okay. so insane right let's let me let me put a question there then that you can sure. respond to so i think it's like important if you like state what took you over the line into going, oh goodness, this symbolism regarding 9-11 is really definitely present in the films. Because I mean, I, I found it, it started to re really pique my attention um, with the second film, okay? And I thought we're gonna know what I'm referring to when they're at the McFly house in the future. Yes, uh, with yes. The, so the, the, and yes. further than that, I mean, I don't know when you wanna bring this up, uh, but I'm assuming you probably will. I've just recently watched the film, The, the Walk, Okay, right. which uh, Robert Zemeckis, right. and that was um, right. that was very interesting for me because upon watching this, so Robert Zemeckis in twenty fifteen was released in twenty fifteen. He made a film about the Frenchman in the nineteen seventies who walked from one tower to the other across uh, a tightrope. Okay, so Robert Zemeckis, director of Back to the Future, writer of Back to the Future, did make a film about the Twin Towers. So through him, you have a Zemeckis. Back to the Future, Twin Towers well, yeah. connection, right? It's, so, but it's, it's 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 even more it's even more than that. Um, he released this film about the Twin Towers in October 2015, mm -hmm. which is when Marty and Doc go go back to the future. So, the date that Marty and Doc decide to jump into the future, he releases a film about the Twin Towers. That's I think that's that's what had me hooked, uh, and the, the the scene in the bedroom was there, there was something about it. You, know, you see the, the, the Liberty, uh, 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 the Statue of Liberty yeah. in the foreground as, as a bedpost and in the walk, like I said, you, you, like you recently saw this. He's narrating this from the, from the torch of, of yeah. Statue of Liberty, you know? Um, I, and I, I was caught by, uh, him saying, you know, this is the, George McFly comes in and he's, he's upside down, mm. right? Mm. And he says, this is the only depiction of anybody upside down in back to, and as far as I remember, I think that's true. Um, so we should view it from, from George McFly's perspective. And from George McFly's perspective, the twin pines on the screen morph into the twin towers that begin to fall, right? Yeah. I, I, I thought that was a decent explanation, but at some point, it just stuck with me that image of of George McFly suspended upside down with that like beautiful golden waft of hair, you know, just hanging down. And uh, 
I, I couldn't get get over the image, right? So I, I, I was at some point introduced to some very low level tarot, and I, I'm not, I, I frankly, I, I know very little about the tarot, but just thumbing through the cards, I noticed, holy shit, George McFly is the hanged man, right? He's he's, and I think I sent you a couple of images of this. Um, so he is he's suspended in the same fashion as as the hanged man from the from the tarot card, upside yeah. down. I can go with um, that. Yeah, got his arms here. He's got the the giant golden waft of hair, and he's sitting in the bedroom, you know, suspended as the hanged man, watching the collapse of the tower, right? Yeah, and yeah. The, the, the 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 there there is a tarot card, the tower card, and the tower card is the tower, the, the, the appearance of the tower card is a lightning bolt striking the top of the tower and breaking its foundation and there are people jumping, you know, from the tower, mm. right? Which harkens back to Doc Brown's uh, uh, scene on, on the tower where he's sliding down, yeah. he's sliding down the wire as the, as the lightning is, is striking the tower, right, and, and destroying the clock tower. So I thought, what is, what, if this is, if, 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 if what Back to the Future is, is saying about 9-11 is, is a thing, could it be possible that these, you know, images of, of tarot in, in here are a thing? And if they are, what are they trying to tell us, right? So mm -hmm. I, I did some low-level studying up, and that's, uh, admittedly, that's as, as, as uh, versed on it as I am, as low-level studying up. But from what I gather with, with The Hanged Man, the lesson of the card is, would be akin to, say, the serenity prayer. Are you familiar with? Yeah. This? Yes. Well, God yeah, you just go, go ahead and explain the hanged man in, in that context, okay. and I think the audience will... will... Okay, so the, the, the hanged man in the context of the serenity prayer would be, if we were to view back to the future from the context of the hanged man, we would be saying something to the effect of grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So what are the things that we cannot change that we're viewing from, from uh, George McFly's perspective? We can't change 9-11. This is coming. This is, this is, it's coming. It's cemented in stone, and it's probably been planned before you were, you know, even born, maybe, you know, uh, I would also say that that same lesson applies to the uh, Donald Trump storyline as this is coming. There's no changing it. And this has been predicted. Okay, long the, before. the Donald Trump storyline being sure. the Biff Tannen, Donald Trump comparison there. Correct. Correct. Um, and that, so, that Robertson Makers admitted that, didn't he? he? Said that he did base the Biff Tannen yeah. character when he's running. Biff Tannen is is Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Biff yeah. Tannen is the, the the writers have have even stated this, right? Uh, and the visual simil you know, uh, similarities are yeah, it's very quite striking. obvious. You know, yeah. it's it's it's, it's insane. And this is really what uh, I think is incredible with the casting of a movie in 1985. Like they found a young 20-something, you know, Thomas S. L. F. Wilson, and figured a way to doctor him up to get him to look strikingly similar to, you know, like a 
early 90s, early or you know, or late 90s, early 2000s, Donald Trump. It's 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 insane yeah. to me, you know. Um, anyhow, so beyond that, they, they he owns they, they both own casinos, right? Um, and I, I think there's the most striking similarity between Biff and Donald is that like pussy grabbing aspect, mm. you know, like. Biff Tannen is, he's a misogynist and, you know, he tells, uh, uh, Lorraine says, get your meat hooks off of me. And he says, you know, maybe I'm not that kind of girl. He goes, maybe you are, and you just don't know yeah. it, you know? And, uh, then later in the, in the, uh, scene, he's legitimately going to rape her, right? He's in the, he's in the car and he's legitimately going to rape her until, uh, until the hanged man comes and, and, and knocks him out, right? The courage to change the things you can, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Biff Tannen is Donald Trump, and in, in that alternate timeline reality, Biff Tannen is running shit, right? And now we have in 2015, and frankly, October 2015 was pretty significant in that Trump campaign time. Yeah, and, and that this is when this is when things got legitimate. You know, it quit being a you know I'm gonna run. He had had the big famous escalator scene, you know, where he's coming down and he's gonna announce, which was predicted by The Simpsons, weirdly enough, right? Uh, but he comes down, he announces his candidacy, and people are actually starting to have to take him for real. Um, and I find it interesting that, and I will unfortunately admit, I got sucked in. And, and that initially, man, Trump was going around and he was saying things like, you vote for me and, and you'll find out who was really behind 9-11. Perhaps it was the Saudis. And I'm like, no, really? And I'm thinking, and at this time in my life, I'm, 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 man, I'm up to my ears in Back to the Future, 9-11, conspiracies, and Donald Trump, you know. Uh, so I think, holy shit, you know, Back to the Future was telling us about 9-11 and Donald Trump as president, you know. And I think, holy shit, you know, maybe this is a thing, you know. We, we vote for him. We'll find out who. who. Yeah. And fortunately... I learned a, a good lesson through through this whole process. And it's not that Donald Trump is some, you know, like savior who's gonna come and 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 you know beat the shit out of the Illuminati and what you know, get Clinton, get the Clintons finally, those dastardly Clintons, right? He's a fucking actor, man. You know? Uh, and uh, that that's I can't help but to view him in any other light. Uh I, and I look at this insane polarization in politics here in the United States uh, right now. And it's, it's ridiculous. It is, it is, it, it, there are two competing conspiracy theory narratives running in, in American politics right now. And that's what's dominating our, our, our politics, conspiracy theory. It, it, it's crazy. You know, uh, there's the, the running narrative that Trump and, and Russia and, you know, did he, uh, um, you know, affect the Ukrainians and this, you know, what, what did he know? And this and that, which uh, is ridiculous. I, I, I think on some level, uh, look, did he, did he probably say something to the Ukrainians? Yes. Because why? Because Hunter Biden is a scumbag. Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, of course, was bilking money from the Ukrainian government because they're all sleazeballs. Hunter Biden is the worst of the worst. He's, 
a recovering crack addict who uh, this is uh, and dude this is this is no no stretch of conspiracy theory he is a recovering crack addict that in between crack binges banged his dead brother's wife <laughs> yeah i'm dude i swear to god this is who hunter biden is you know which puts him on the same level as donald trump the sleazy pussy grabbing megalomaniac right they they they're all the same they're all sleaze balls and i think they're intended to be this way and i think they're intended to be so polarizing for whatever you know and and i don't know what that what that whatever yeah, is yeah well i noticed that but, result that the polarization and the conflict that creates along the left right, right paradigm keeps all energy directed that way and not questioning depth then not the it's on a horizontal yeah. right, um, right, right, but not right, a vertical right. not questioning the federal yeah, reserve yeah, the war yeah. state and so on absolutely 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 i mean in the end like u.s policy doesn't differ in in the broad scheme of things if it's the bushes the clintons the clintons the bushes the obamas the trumps they're all the fucking same they're all and they're all fucking friends with each other, you know, like make no mistake about it until, you know, they decided that, okay, it's time to institute the Biff Tannen plan. The Clintons and the Trumps were fucking friends. They were all yeah. hanging out with yeah. Epstein. They were all hanging out with Epstein. The Bushes and the Clintons go way back to me in Arkansas, you know, importing drugs. Yeah. And this cartel, this cartel has, has ruled American politics. I would say since, since they gunned down Kennedy in the sixties, and and maybe maybe that was just a reclamation of of power. Uh, I, I, it's hard to tell, but um, there did seem to be some some real strife in the '60s between conservatives and liberals. And I think the, I think it's pretty obvious the conservatives won. So what the liberals did was they went underground. They went into they went into public universities. They mm. and they got into they got into entertainment, and they decided to steer the narrative their way through you know mass media entertainment and through the university system where the conservatives were just in power right and i think this this bush clinton cartel with the trump and the obamas in the same nexus is, is all part of the same scheme um and funny i think this is all evident in back to the future right um so let's get to uh uh Marty's first night back in 1955. Okay. Okay. So he's following his dad around, you know, his dad's getting smacked around by Biff in the cafe and he's kind of following his dad around. Uh, and he sees his dad's like spying on Lorraine, you know, uh, uh with the binoculars, peeping yeah. Tom. Right. And he falls out of the tree and Marty saves him and he gets smacked by his grandfather's car and grandfather takes him in instead. Right. And Lorraine's got that Florence Nightingale, you know, just in love with, with you know, the, the, the kid from 1985. Uh, funny, and this, this is why Disney actually passed on Back to the Future, is while everybody else said it wasn't raunchy enough, Disney said, we can't deal with the incest. You know? Yeah, yeah, sure. That is pretty, <laughs> we're, we're not touching that with a thing in it. Yeah, sure, sure. Right. So um, uh, Marty comes downstairs and his to 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 dinner at his great you know what a surreal scene man you know like you walk downstairs to your grandparents house hmm. 30 years before you know uh uh before 
anything, you know, like 30 years prior, you walk downstairs into your grandparents' house 30 years ago, you know, and they're eating dinner and the dad's fiddling. He's just, and the mom's like, Sam, quit fiddling with that thing. And she says it over and over again. So we find out Sam's fiddling with the TV. And I, this is, this is key in Back to the Future. And he's fiddling with the TV because it's their first night to own a television set. And they make it a point that you know this. Um, Lorraine looks at Marty and, you know, she's goo-goo-eyed over and says, it's our first TV set. And Marty's very nervous next to his, you know, like, lusty mom. And is like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and the brother's like, how many TVs do you, or, or do you guys have a TV set is what he asks. And he goes, well, yeah, we've got two of them. Because, of course, in 1985, everybody had two TVs. Yeah. And the kids are just flabbergasted, like, what the fuck, you know? And the mom's like, no, 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 he's kidding. You know, obviously nobody has two TVs, right? Uh, so they make it a point to know this is the family's first night with the TV set. Um, and there, this is very, from what I gather from, you know, conversations I've had with, with my grandparents and with my parents, this was very late 50s, early 60s to want to sit around the dinner table and, mm. watch, and, and watch the television. Um, so the dinner conversation, uh, after, you know, they decide Marty's uh, uh, a Coast Guard guy, at some point, Marty, he, remember he tore the, the, the phone book page out that had Doc Brown's address, and he looks at it, and he says, hey, um, where is, you know, whatever, Elm Street or whatever the, the, the street is, and he goes, oh, uh, the grandfather says, oh, it's a block past Maple, and Marty thinks to himself, Maple, Maple, oh, John F. Kennedy Boulevard. And the dad says, or the grandfather says, who the hell is John F. Kennedy? Yeah. You know, I can't help but to think this part of the script is, is absolutely intentional, right? It doesn't seem to like further any, any part of the plot beyond just making sure that we mention a John F. Kennedy, right? And so my thought is we're mentioning John Kennedy on a night they've got their first television set. So mm. I, as, a, as a history student here in, in, in the United States in, in college, I was introduced to this uh, information that 19, the, the uh, 1960 presidential election was uh, the debates in that election were the first televised debates ever in yeah. the United States. Yeah, right? and pe people so, reckon Nixon would have won, right? If yeah, yeah, so the, the, the folks that, yes, the folks that listened to this on, that's on the radio right. generally thing, yeah. said Nixon fucking destroyed and Nixon was Nixon was a seasoned debater Nixon hmm. Kennedy was a junior senator playboy you know at best yeah. you know yeah. uh, right and Nixon was a seasoned politician he he was you know the vice president you know so so he knew he, uh, yeah. he slaughtered him on foreign policy on everything hammered him on communists you know and but he lost he lost the, the debates in the public image. And why? Because more people watched it on TV than listened to it on the radio. Yeah. Right? And, and he looks like a used car salesman. He was gorgeous. He was gorgeous, you know? And his, his timing was, was if there was anything that this guy was made for, it was television, yeah. right? You know, and and probably live TV. He was very quick. He was very good. Well, that that very reference good is clearly in there, right? Because when a sharp, I mean, sharp guy, right? When so, um, when Marty talks to Doc, then uh, he won't believe Doc won't believe that Ronald Reagan, the actor, could become president until he sees Marty's right. video camera, right? 
Right. Of course, of course, presidents right. need to be active. Of course, active your president has to look and think about that in terms. So he's, you know, Marty's got the tiny little video camera and he says, he says, no wonder your president has to has to look good on TV. Everybody's got a portable television studio and, you know, in their hands. Think about that in terms of 2015 when everybody legitimately had a fully high, you know, a full high definition television studio in the palm of their hands in a fully connected yeah. environment, you know, and that doesn't spur the actor Ronald Reagan, who was a fucking actor, who was a legitimate actor. So let me get back to, to 1955 real quick. 1955, Eisenhower was president. And 1955, the idea that Ronald Reagan, the, the actor, would be president is laughable. And yeah. laughable, to, laughable to the brightest minds and, you know, Doc Brown. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny. You know, he makes, oh, so I suppose Jane Wyman's the first lady. Yeah, well, yeah he, was, he was married to Jane Wyman, you know, in 55. But no, he wasn't. And Nancy, he was married to that he got a divorce, and that was kind of a thing in the United States. Yeah. You know, when he was running for uh, for president, and you know, very wholesome. Nineteen eighty five was he's been divorced. You know, Nancy and Nancy studies astrology and the tarot. You know, so um, that was that was a, a a a kind of a thing that the other side tried to play against Reagan, but he was an actor, and it's laughable. You know, I suppose Jack Benny is the Secretary of State, right? So, uh. Eisenhower was president in 1955. And who was Eisenhower? Eisenhower was a fucking war general, man. Yeah. And not just any war general. This guy, he smacked down the Nazis, you know? And the, 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 this guy smacked down, as far as, as we were told in the United States, was the most dastardly evil to, to ever walk the face of the earth, you know? Hmm. So that's, that's who was president of 1955. So to consider in 1985, this pretty boy actor who we know is an actor could be president is laughable. But the reality of the situation is in 1985, he was president and he won both of his terms by a laughable margin, you know? So how did this happen? And I argue this happened because of social engineering through, through pop culture and, and, and mass media. And once again, this is evident in that Kennedy-Nixon uh, 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 presidential election in that Kennedy would, would never have stood a chance against a seasoned politician like Nixon had he not had a you know, huge financial backing. You know, his dad had endless money, right? So a huge financial backing that could, and, and well-connected network to put him and his beautiful wife and their gorgeous little kids mm. you know, on the cover of every fucking magazine, every Newsweek, every time. And this was a time when, when print publications were, were the voice of, of a nation, right? Uh, they, all the newspaper had, it had pictures of, of these guys and they were on TV a lot because they were made for fucking TV, man. This yeah. guy was so good looking, so cool, right? Uh, so without that, he doesn't stand a chance against a seasoned politician, Nixon. So he wins and he narrowly wins. And we'll get into why some of the other reasons why he won in, in just a second. I've got some other, you know, connections to make between him, Trump, and, and uh, uh, anyway. So, um, he wins, and in large part due to a mass media assault of an image. 
Fast forward, you know, 30 some odd years in 1985, and we've elected the laughable actor, Ronald Reagan. And then fast forward 30 years from that, and the United States has a reality TV star as, as their president. Hey man, uh, on the blog, there are, you know, uh, and those are just a couple of, of the uh, Trump being in media, being in movies, being on television. I mean, this spans back, you know, since the 80s. He's appeared on, on screen with, in Spin City with Marty McFly. Um, this guy has been on TV, uh, you know, probably almost as much as anybody next mm-hmm. to Walker, Walter Cronkite, right? Professional so, wrestling, too. Right, right. And, that's, that's, and I want to get into that. I want to get into that. I think that's very important, man. Um, so, right, the, the, the fakest of the fake professional wrestling. This guy and Vince McMahon are legitimately close friends, you know? So um, he's a reality TV star. I, I, I like to say, I, I, I like this line that he's an overly tanned, foul mouth reality TV star from New Jersey, and it's not even Snooky or JWoww, you know? It's. It, <laughs> It's the Donald. It's the pussy grabbing Donald. This is our president. And how did this happen? Well, TV, you know, mass media. And I I don't, I don't think just mass media, but there's been a legitimate attempt to throw, I would say memes into the mass consciousness for a, a, for a long time. So is propaganda a thing? You're asking me propaganda. Yeah, yes, yeah. so I would say yeah. propaganda is a yeah. thing, yes. I yes, would. propaganda is a thing, right? Um, would you say the same uh, as far as uh, subliminal messaging? Um, well, yeah, it happens. Of course, right? Yeah. Hypnotism. I, I've been hypnotized. I, I was supposed to quit smoking from hypnotism. It didn't work so well. Um, but hi- hypnotism is, is a thing. So if propaganda subliminal messaging and and hypnotism are a thing then certainly the idea of potentially putting narratives or memes subliminally into the thought patterns of impressionable you know like impressionably aged children could be a possibility right mm-hmm. so i'm 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 that millennial generation that grew up like i said I loved Marty McFly, man. I th- th- I had school books where instead of signing my and I I doubt kids nowadays even remember have to, having to sign your name in the school books like yeah. this is my property. Yes, I will take care of this. I would sign Marty McFly in there. You know, I yeah. was in love with this guy, right? Um, so, and obviously, Zemeckis and Gale knew the effect of media on on impressionable children, and that they couldn't have the refrigerator. Right? Yeah, sure. There's kids, what kids will climb in, into this refrigerator, and then there, there's a lawsuit, right? So, what if the individuals who had the ability to manipulate mass media at, at some level, who, who had, who were in that position, and I, I don't think it's arguable that there is most likely a small network of individuals who would have that potential to affect media during given, you know, given periods of, 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 of American history, right? I, 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 there's only a few families that control, you know, 
all five or six media outlets mm -hmm. and this uh, the Conan O'Brien sketch will will show you in and of itself that sure. there is a scripted narrative there is a scripted narrative so what if subliminally subliminally that's a difficult way to say uh they have been inserting memes into the subconscious in order to maybe make them easier to swallow i don't know you know uh i could see that and then i i also see the the in a much larger sense of of the hamlet story within a story comparison right and that there is a hidden message here and not all you know something is rotten in the state of denmark type of thing right um and i i think that th this can be evident in things like like um the uh, lone gunman you, it, i i yeah you just for the audience just explain what you're gonna i know okay. what you mean but go on with the uh the Lone Gunman was the pilot episode of a X-Files spinoff. Um, it aired, I believe, in March or April of uh, 2001. So we're talking, mm -hmm. uh, what, five, six months before 9-11. Yeah. The premise of the story was the United States is remotely hijacking airplanes to crash them into the Twin Towers to blame them on Middle Eastern terrorists in order to uh, uh, further, you know, propagate the war machine money hmm. business. Um, that aired six months before before 9-11. So, I, and I think, I think that, and, and we discussed this in the, in, in uh, the, the Skeptico forum, I, I, I think that and Back to the Future are different but somehow interrelated. Okay, so I think what interests me is like, to a point, I think this is very demonstrable that the CIA and the Pentagon have liaison officers within Hollywood, okay? Obviously, if you want like right, airplanes right. to film Top Gun, you need to go to the military and they're gonna ask you to make a few changes, look favorable. So, you know, if there are scenes of American soldiers massacring civilians in a, a war film, they've got to go, right? If there's scenes of racism right. or sex in the military, they're gone, yeah, and they want some kind of recruitment yeah. value out of this. Oh, and I yeah, think, yeah. I think you can extend is, that. Is army propaganda. Excuse I think me. you Sorry. can extend that to be a bit more far-sighted and say, okay, if the Cold War is is winding down and we're all off in search of a new enemy, maybe there's a few candidates, but maybe you think Arab terrorism is going to be one of them. So in the '90s, you see like a ratcheting up then of films that are going to play portray Arabs in a bad light. Okay, and there's a documentary film called Real Bad Arabs, real spelt R E E L. Okay, showing how the portrayal of Arab men in cinema, how they're lecherous and incompetent and prone to violence and so on. And I, I yeah, I can definitely, I, I think I that, you know, of that. course, very easy to see how people are farsighted enough to, um, you know, put that propaganda, just what, you know, was done to the Germans in, um, in the First and Second World War and the I'm, Spanish. I'm glad, in the war you, I'm glad you made that, that connection. I'm, I'm, I, so so all, uh, all very demonstrable. Okay. Uh, but then when you have things like the lone gunman, that's a step up again, right? That's like, it's 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 a bit hard to see what the motivation would be for that and, and when you go to things beyond that about 9-11 symbolism appearing in films going way back that's well then, right, then you're right, off right. the deep end that that's like i said that's why i prefer to swim way off the deep end um yeah. okay so the 9-11 lone gunman um 
I've, I've heard a phrase from uh, uh, my favorite blogger, Chris Knowles. Uh, are you familiar with him? I am, yeah. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, telling tales out of school. You know, uh, I, think, I, I think the lone gunman, that's, that's applicable there. And that somebody fed these guys some, some insider information and they put it out there, right? Um, Back to the Future, I think, has that element on some level, but I think in a much more uh, sinister application in, in, in the uh, guys that um, we're going to subliminally inject these, 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 uh, these memes into, into the, the, the mass consciousness. Uh, and associate them with with these archetypal uh, these larger archetypal stories like, like like the the hanged man and and the the, the tower tarot card uh, we're going to incorporate that as a like secret message into back to the future and I wonder if some if on some level maybe it's it's in in ingrained into like that programmed DNA that that we have that we're supposed to respond to these larger archetypal stories and I um, so and 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 so subliminally we can pick up on these these subtle clues of viewing this in the guise of of the hanged man and seeing 9-11 as as the you know uh, personification of the tower tarot card uh, but I also see it as like a calling card for maybe some of the individuals that were responsible for it in in the symbolism itself uh with the like i said the 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 uh destruction of the twin towers being like the two pillars of freemasonry being mm -hmm. destroyed on the way to solomon temple being destroyed so the twin towers were destroyed on the way to the solomon brothers building being destroyed solomon brothers being being building seven I, and i think there's some sort of pattern design of repetition of these larger allegorical tales into in, into entertainment into mass media and i think they even inject these into into actual events like 9-11 and they I, I couldn't tell you who they are that's well, that, that, yeah so here's the thing it sounds great until we try and like grasp this in our hands and say i got it right and you open up your hands and there's nothing there but a mess um in, in try because we can see there's like a symbolic thing going on in a lot of films back to the future in various ways okay and we can also see things like um okay like i would make the statement that um i'm, I'm totally comfortable with the idea of uh, precognition okay that we as human beings um we don't have on-demand access to what's going to happen in the future um, but it can occur, okay? And that's demonstrated in my experience in massive amounts of anecdotal experience of people reporting, you know, I was driving down the road Absolutely. and somebody got this uh, yeah, twisting we, feeling we my gut had pulled over and the 18 wheeler went past. And also in laboratories of Dean Radin and Daryl Bem, uh, demonstrating that people can, beyond statistical chance, see a little bit into the future, okay? Um, and that then plays into things like, uh, or opens up the door for things like synchronicity, okay? Um, where just really meaningful coincidences arise, meaningful for the individual, not 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 random chance things, um, not just random chance, but like immense chance that has an incredible meaning for it. Okay, um, but 
when I've experienced, well, I'll just give an example of a synchronicity I experienced, okay, one time, that I was putting a, um, a workshop together to run in the south of England. And I was, um, I don't live in the south of England, but I was there a few weeks before uh, chatting to the lady I was going to be running it with, okay? And I was quite apprehensive about numbers, people turning up. And essentially, I'm thinking, like, have I created something that, like, nobody really wants to, to come to here? Got that, got that kind of panic on. And for some reason, for this planning meeting, we, we left my friends. She suggested leaving her house and go to the cafe, which at the time struck me as, like, never done that before or since. I wonder why we don't just sit at her kitchen table. But she said, let's go to the cafe. And she said it on the phone, like, a few days before. We'll go to the cafe and, and do this planning meeting. And I was saying, well, you know, it's, it's oh, I'm a bit worried and this and this and this. And there was definitely a sense in me of, like, give me a sign. Oh Lord, I, that I'm I'm just doing the right thing here, and I was yes. telling my friend about like um, who I'd been in contact with, who was involved in this kind of work, and all the rest who could come along. And as I'm describing someone, I was, I was saying like, oh, and I went to email this lady, um, but I had to stop the email halfway through because I had to run for the plane to come here. And I, as I'm saying that, the lady walks through the door of the cafe, right? And it's that that. That, that lady there, her, there, right? There. And yeah. I went over, I said, like, do you come here often? I was like, I, I was just emailing you. And, then, and she was like, you were, she found it weird and, and it was nice. And, but for me, it was very meaningful in the sense of I'm looking for some evidence from the universe. This is meant yes. And I could probably, I could probably cite ones that are statistically like more far out than that again. Um, but that, because of the sense of meaning in it, that, that really was like uh, impactful in me. My friend was amazed and we carried on and it all, all, all went, it all worked out fine. Um, but if I was to try and explain the mechanics of how that happens, right? Like what put that thought in my friend's house of like, you know what, we'll go to the cafe and we'll go now. And then this lady, her friend had brought her to the cafe that day and they didn't make me go there. And the mechanics of that are impossible, right? I have no explanation as to the mechanics of that. So then when I look at films in general, Back to the Future, and see symbolism arising, I think, okay, yeah, come on, some of that has got to be conscious, right? There's no way Robert Zemeckis accidentally had the DeLorean crash into a cinema every time it moved back and forward through time. Of course he, and, he did. Uh, he, of course he did. I, um, accidentally? You think it was accidental? No, 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 purposefully. I, no, purposely, I, I yeah, sorry. That, yeah, I said there's no way he accidentally did it, right? There's no okay, way that he is unaware, and if you showed him, he's going, oh my gosh, yes, yeah, that's yes, just a coincidence. Yes, yes, right? So that is, that's a, a really clever guy who's making a point about the role of cinema, and like films are just replete with references like that. But I also think that um, symbology could arise somewhat unconsciously in films, and I have to extend it and say that like synchronicity about future events could arise unconsciously. So that's, that's, and of course, then you also have the other factor that of course arises in life, which is chance, right? And you can't ignore, yes. that's a factor yeah. too. So you, you pour yeah. that out on the table and, and how do you begin to start deciphering? And sorry, I'll just, I'll go on one more thing here, right? That when I, when I watched The Walk, which is an incredible piece of, of cinema, I thought um, about the French man. Visually, it's it's so stunning. It's just, man. I mean, I like my my t-shirt was drenched in sweat at the end of oh. it because I, I'm not. So you know, I, I, uh, and... in preparing for this, I actually read that uh, initially in in theaters there there were individuals who who were sick. I'm not surprised. From, I was on. I was yeah, like, I could yeah. feel that in my gut. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, any I, it worse was very... than I am, you would be. But uh, absolutely, like people out there watch it. It's fantastic. Zemeckis has an ability to make good tense cinema when you know the out when you already know the outcome i mean so, this was a you know, yeah, this was a historical right. event you know that's right yeah so y y y this this actually happened this this uh philippe 
walked between the twin, you know, outsmarted the police and got up and, and walked between the twin towers. We know this because it actually happened. He made it. He, he yeah. made it across, right? But it was tense. It was I have, very. And I have no intense. idea why, because I know it just it, that, that that is very. That's a very accurate observation about okay. Zemeckis. My thing was right when I watched that. I thought, oh god, like Zemeckis is like the cleverest guy in the world, right? Because then you watch yes. Back to the Future One. Look, there's this cabling going on. It's all like the cabling and the walk, the cabling, yeah. and Kafka, right? And they're wearing you know, the same outfit, man. They're wearing, they're the, wearing same the same outfit. outfit in the second. And then Doc says, "What's this all about?" Marty goes, "You'll find out in thirty years. Thirty years later, Back to the Future Two. There's a TV screen with the twin towers on, and the same month he releases that." Then I read an interview by Semeckers. He says he didn't know about the guy walking between the two towers until he read a book. I checked the publication date, 2003, right? So he's saying that when he made Back to the Future, he didn't know about the walk, right? So now I'm lost. No. Okay, <laughs> so, so and, and I'm willing to accept, I'm, I'm, I'm very willing to accept that. Um, I think there is, 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 several layers to to back to the future um so you you sent me the link or you introduced me to the um back to the future and mythology which yeah, I, the same I, guys I, who made I, the I find, video i find that. absolutely yeah the same guy man this guy i would love to talk to this guy um so essentially doc brown is zeus right doc brown is zeus and he battles Kronos, Saturn, or yeah. time, you know, uh, and destroys them with a lightning bolt. Yeah, this is you know, Hesiod's myth, basically. Yes, correct, correct. And he's aided by, you know, his brother Neptune or, or Poseidon. I, I, both, the same both. Um, no, 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 it's, um, yeah, that's right, sorry, and, and um, Hades, who's correct. associated with the planet Pluto. So, um, at the back to the, you know, uh, at the fish under the sea dance or what, uh, the, the um, enchantment yeah. under the sea dance. Yeah. Um, there is, is Neptune presiding over the dance. And then, you know, the next scene we see, you know, in, in the next scene, we see Zeus conquering, conquering Kronos, conquering Saturn, conquering yeah. time with, with the lightning bolts. Um, and just real quick, as far as the, the hanged man motif of Back to the Future goes, um, the tarot card, the hangman, is is ruled by Neptune as well. So you see Neptune um, actually standing and looking over the shoulder of of George McFly as George McFly gets ready to dance the right. night away on his crowning night. Right. So the hangman who is ruled by Neptune has Neptune watching over George McFly's crowning night, where you know he he comes to the understanding to accept the things he can change and he can change his lot in life and he smacks the shit out of Biff Tannen and remember what they say George did anybody ever consider did you ever consider running for class president and there's the harken back to the to the original story right yeah so and that was presided over by by Neptune the hanged man right and the hanged man is the guy who's watching the the, the film and so which gets me to where you're at and how how far is can this be story you know like a, a Zemeckis story you know a, a creation of, of Zemeckis and Gale and Spielberg all getting together and on some level I, I I think it has to be from their brain and I think it has to be to be meaningful and that the wholesale changes to the script 
once we had to, once we had uh, uh, Michael J. Fox on board and that $3 million price tag is what turned that movie into what we're talking about right now, in, in, my, in, in my opinion. All right. So I think that's done uh, on purpose. Now, if Zemeckis didn't hear about you know, uh, Philippe and, and his walk until 2003, I think that's entirely plausible. I think that's entirely plausible. Maybe when he saw this, it hearkened him back to, you know, Doc walking on the wire, you know, and, and the whole 9-11 story that they, that they were telling and say, this is the story I'm going to tell in October 2015. This, you know, so this is the movie I want to make. And, and uh, how could in, you know, early 2003, 9-11 not be on your mind? This is, this is the time when uh, we're being told the lies of, of the, you know, weapons of mass destruction. And, and you know, we got to go in and, and get Saddam, uh, you know, uh, and somehow trying to connect that yeah. to 9-11, which was, uh, as you've done a, a, a great job of, of demonstrating was, you know, just absolutely fraudulent, right? So um, this is that time. So how could that not be on the mind considering what I think is intentional and, and that, that storyline change? Uh, I think that's that's entirely plausible, um, but I also I'm also open to the same ideas that you are that that there is some ability for the artist to tap into some sort of precognition or or more universal messaging um, and subconsciously have have some of that uh, uh, echo through. Um, for instance, uh, uh, my, what, I, what I'll be working on after Back to the Future, um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a real deep dive into Nirvana's Unplugged album, mm -hmm. and the the set list of that, uh, and just the the whole the whole scene, the whole macabre scene of of the un, uh, uh, of the uh, uh, live in in New York uh, soundstage, relative to the events that were about to happen, right? So. Uh, that being said, so so I I think there's an ability for an artist to tap into something greater than themselves, and have that bleed through into their art. Um, I I have a a alternate explanation that's probably not like mutually exclusive from this explanation uh, of what I would call. Um, um, Excuse me. Now that I've lost, uh, like, okay, so an informational causality feedback loop, where suppose, and a lot of science is is putting us in this like thought pattern of the everything in the universe. The you know the basic building block of everything is is information. Okay, mm -hmm. so suppose in a universe where it, it, I mean, and frankly just about every religion will tell us, you know, at first there was the word and, you know, the word is essentially information, right? And then that just multiplies into, you know, what is now the universe. So the universe is ever expanding and ever becoming more complex, meaning there's endless, you know, an infinite amount of information being fed back into that universe, which causes it to expand. So in a reality that is, it is, based on information having some effect on that reality, certainly I would think that by 
putting it, so, so, so perhaps the individuals who who are are responsible for or or whatever it, it, whether it be uh, you know the, the the artist tapping into something greater but whatever that that greater is that he's tapping into feeding him the messages of precognition perhaps that they're 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 aware of this ability for for reality to be shaped by information so if they put this these you know little memes of information of of you know, Donald Trump, this casino owning pussy grabbing, you know, motherfucker is going to be running shit. You know, uh, these twin pines will turn into the twin power towers that are attacked, you know, by, by this, this airplane with no wings. Right. Um, they put this, this, this has a causality feedback to have these events happen possibly in, 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 in reality. Um, and my thought is, in a in a reality where where that is possible certainly wouldn't you know that small group of powers that be individuals that had the ability to manipulate mass media certainly would they not be trying to manipulate media reality and and future events through this i would call it meme magic you know like inserting memes into into the mass consciousness in order to make, maybe more solidify the you know uh, the, the, this happening maybe uh, like I said or or maybe it's just to solidify the connection with this you know greater allegorical tales I don't know but it seems like it's got to either come from some real insiders who knew something which seems very fantastical you know it seems almost implausible well it seems incongruent with the randomness of the world because like I mean aside the example that. Um, the Twin Towers, from, from everything I understand, uh, you know, I could be wrong about this. I don't mean I personally could be wrong. I mean, I could have, like, wrong information, could be just out there about this. Um, but they very nearly came down um, in on the 26th of February 1993 when uh, Ramsey Youssef put a bomb in the basement. And it's interesting. The story, it would be a bit bigger in a different location. One tower could have crashed into the other and you would have had a domino effect across New York, which would have, like, killed hundreds of thousands of people, potentially. Um, there's uh, a lot about that whole story, which is is flawed. Um, I've explored that, but I think that basic narrative is true. A big bomb did go off there, um, and you know the the Citibank building back in the 1970s nearly fell down in Manhattan and would have been much more devastating potentially than um, depending on the time of day than the 9/11. So there is this, Richard, this randomness, that, right? But, but 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 the the Citibank building. And and the other World Trade Center bombing, those buildings didn't fall down. Those, yeah. they, they, I mean. But for so, you to know that, right? It, it suggests that it's something otherworldly. For to, so it's something coming through that is literally having insight into the future, as opposed to someone in this world making a plan and saying, "Okay, on nine eleven, then we're going to do this, and that's going to be the pivotal point in history." Would you not say? I I I, I would say, either to to me, either is plausible. Unfortunately, I think my just jaded, you know, conspiracy head leans more towards there seems to be some, you know, dark occulted forces that understand, you know, the significance of day of of these dates and these, uh, you know, these larger allegorical tales and choose to repeat them, you know, in and you know these like mass sacrifices in order to like make more potent you know, whatever their plan is, that, that, that seems to ring a little truer to me 
Uh, but I'm not opposed to the idea of otherworldly forces, uh, you know, affecting the, this art, artistic sure, interpretation. Sure. Of, you know. So, okay, so we reached this point in the discussion, and I'm never sure where to go, right? Because what you've right. had with people looking for 9-11 uh, foreshadowing in films is people notice a clock here, a road sign there, a magazine there, and you have this massive compilation okay. of stuff that ends up in YouTube videos, right? But and, and I think that's garbage, I, I, right? The, I, I think, I, well, I mean, not, not all of it, but there are some very specific examples of 9-11 foreshadowing um, that are mind-boggling to me. There's a Saturday Night Live uh, a sketch. Did I send you this? Um, uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, just, I mean, okay, I can play okay. the audio. So, people. Uh, it's, it's the weekend update with Colin Quinn. And um, the, the part there's, and I cannot find the whole video anymore. I, I, and I, I, I think I've got it downloaded somewhere and I, I, plan, I intend to cut it up and put it on the blog. But so the sketch opens up and Horatio Sands is, uh, he's, he's a, a cartoonist, uh, presumably. And he's a political cartoonist. And he's, he's, he's being interviewed by Colin Quinn, and, and he's talking about the upcoming 2000 election between Gore and, and Bush. Every drawing Horatio Sands begins to draw appears to initially be something sexually suggestive. Um, there's a, a, a rabbit chewing on a, 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 a carrot that you know looks, looks like a penis. Um, and the, the Horatio Sands says something to the effect of, oh, that rascally old George Bush isn't going to let anybody get his carrots, you know. And then so he starts talking about uh, Al Gore, and it looks like a woman's uh, 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 legs being spread, um, which I, 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 it's from most hypnosis or hypnotist that I've spoke to as well as, you know, all the propaganda that I, or, 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 you know, what I've read on, on propaganda, the easiest way to initially dull the, the senses is to have something sexually suggestive, mm, right? Yeah, uh, and this is done, this is done through advertising uh, yeah. with, you know, little naked women will be hidden in, into ice cubes for, for liquor drink ads and, and what, you know? um, so they dull the senses with this narrative. And in the end, uh, the drawing is just an asshole. And, and because Horatio Sands is saying both Al Gore and George Bush are assholes, you know? Um, so the next scene begins with uh, Colin Quinn giving a story about George Bush. And he says, George Bush says recent, you know, due to recent gas hikes, if he were president, he would invade uh, uh, Alaska to steal the oil yeah, reserves. This is where I've seen it from. Yeah. So, so we've got fake president assholes who are going to invade someplace to look for oil. The next story is about Osama bin Laden. He says, um, no, 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 excuse me. The next story is about, is about uh, New York, New York City. And it shows a, a skyline with the Twin Towers and a background of New York City. And he says, you know, uh, New York has gone back and found some, you know, DNA evidence, blah, 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 blah. But it goes 9-11 to New York with the Twin Towers in the background. The next scene uh, is a story about Osama bin Laden reportedly being on dialysis and, you know, having two of his handlers wheeling his dialysis machine and, uh, and, and, and you know, somewhere in his hideout. The next story is about uh, uh, Pakistan. Um, and then the following story is about uh, an airplane heist, 
right? And yeah. this is uh, this is all encompassed in 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 you know little comedic ske sketches. Texas Governor George W. Bush this week blamed President Clinton for the recent increase in gas prices and said if he were president, he'd abolish the gas tax and, if necessary, go to war with Alaska and steal their oil. <laughs> New York police Wednesday indicted the man known as the Eastside Rapist, even though he has been identified only by his genetic makeup, making this the first indictment ever based on a DNA profile. Police are now offering a reward for information leading to the arrest of this man. <laughs> In international news, a Hong Kong-based news magazine reported this week that suspected terrorist leader Osama bin Laden is dying of kidney failure. The reclusive bin Laden is reportedly hiding in the mountains of Afghanistan and is on a dialysis machine being peddled by two of his followers. <laughs> and in Pakistan this week, a judge sentenced a convicted murderer to be strangled, cut into a hundred pieces, and then thrown into a vat of acid. And that was the plea bargain. <laughs> Passengers on a commercial airline flight Thursday averted disaster when they tackled a man who attacked a pilot in the cockpit and attempted to grab the controls. Fortunately, order was restored and the aircraft was allowed to crash on its own. I don't remember the date of this, but it, it, I, it, I believe it was in, in the year 2000. So there's that, that seems not that, uh, not in that same milieu as, as the, as the lone gunman. But more in that, like, suggestive. No, I, I get that. But let's let's like let me say let's just let me just say okay. Let's acknowledge that's there. Okay. My problem is like, how do we step into that further? Then I mean, so I mean, I could throw ways out there. I could say like, okay, you could recruit people to watch um, a group of people to and between them watch a hundred films and look every time there's a clock on the film, they write down the time, right? And then you have like a bar chart of all the different times occurring. And you could see if like um, 8.55, which is, sorry, 9.11, or 9 and 11 minutes past, comes up, there's two points on the clock, uh, it might be more, but I can think of two rather, that indicate 9 and 11, right? There's a certain area. And you could have people say, okay, so does that actually occur more often in films during the 90s than any other time? Or is it just that people have like noticed it in all these films and then they've, whereas actually if you looked for 2602 or anything else, that would occur just sure, as frequently. Sure, of course, sure, sure. not all times are equal. So like five to nine, people like the wake up, the alarm goes off and nine o'clock is when people start work. So if you want to give the impression of someone being late for work and panicking, you, you have them like panic at five to nine, right? So the, the, right, there could right, be, right, I'm right. just throwing that out there. There could be reasons why not all times are, are equal, uh, uh, you know? Understandably so. So um, what, what I'm getting at is that it's very, this stuff is so subjective that one person can look at symbolism and see that, oh, clearly that is referencing this and this and this, and another person looks at the same thing and doesn't see that at all. And I, I encountered this because um, I was, well, I, for reasons maybe random, maybe more than that, I've been quite interested in the symbolism of the Gospels, be it the symbolism of the Jesus story and the Gnostic Gospels, and how it relates to Greek mythology and, and back to Egypt. So I can like, I remember talking to a guy who was a, a sort of more literalist Christian about this and that the comparison between 
um, a certain incident in the Gospels. Well, I'll, I'll explain it. When uh, the Gospel of John, when Jesus has his garment taken off, it's a seamless garment and it's divided up by Roman soldiers who cast lots for it. It's a very weird thing. Like, why mention the garment doesn't have scenes in it? Why are Romans casting lots for a bit of material? And um, I saw a comparison there. I didn't see, I was told a comparison there between that and the Osiris myth of um, Set getting Osiris in a box and cutting him up into many pieces. So you have, and that's reoccurring of uh, Dionysus being torn up and fed to the Titans and all sorts. Of, this idea of God being divided, being separated into pieces in some way, or, or God's clothing, right? Um, being symbolic. Okay, so I, I have this perennialist spiritual perspective. Okay, being symbolic of the one consciousness dividing up into its many constituent parts. So because I, I have that perspective, it's obvious to me that all these things are symbolizing the same thing. If you show that to someone outside this perspective, they go, oh, come on, that is a stretch. Osiris, Jesus, the clothing, the bar. No, I'm not going there. And that is so subjective. So when, you know, one of the videos you sent was of um, Hulk Hogan and that Joe man, Randy Savage. Um, that was Terrible right? Taking on the big bossman and Akeem the African Dream, who I much preferred as the one man gang. So we're talking about the WWF uh, wrestling here. Okay. And Bossman and Akeem were known as the Twin Towers at that time. And Hulk and Savage were the mega powers. And Hulk Hogan's there, the mega powers are gonna take down and demolish the twin towers, man. They're gonna come tumbling down. And and it, it it's eerie and it's creepy to watch it now. And on the other hand, I think, well, yeah, but Tall wrestlers in tag teams are often compared to tall buildings. So the WCW had Sid Vicious and some other guy as, as the skyscrapers, right? So it would almost be surprising if there hadn't been a tag team called the Twin Towers. And as soon as you have a tag team called the Twin Towers, the other team are going to say, we're going to demolish the Twin Towers. So I, I, uh, is it uh, inevitable? Okay. You know? I, 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 how do we I, know? How could we I, I, dig I into that? that? Let me tell you how, how creepy that, that WWF scene is beyond... Um, I'm so uh, uh, the, the, at the end of this this spiel between uh, you know in front of Mean Gene Okerlund, uh the Macho Man and, and uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, we were going to destroy the you know that we're going to tear yeah. down the Twin Towers. Mean Gene says, "Well, wait a second, guys, let's get back to Jesse Ventura because he has a real problem with this." So yeah. Jesse Ventura, Jesse Ventura has a real problem with the mega powers tearing down the Twin Towers. Are you serious? You know, because conspiracy theorist, you know, uh, DuJour next to Alex Jones is, is Jesse Ventura, who has a real problem with the demolition of the Twin Towers. We're going to have one world of a main event right here after this commercial message. Twin Towers, take it, Mean Gene. Fist with me at this time, the Slickster, Akeem, the African Dream, and a big boss man. Gentlemen, is this the match you wanted all along, or are you going to continue your terrorist attacks on the Mega Powers and the defenseless Elizabeth? What do you want? Oh, yeah, we are anxiously awaiting the presence, and they're just about on their way now. The Twin Towers and Akeem, along with the big boss man. And they are indeed. McMahon, look at the size of these two. Huge. All right, thank you, Vince McMahon. Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, the lovely Elizabeth. Three people working as one with one goal in mind to defeat 
or should I say demolish the Twin Towers? Ooh, yeah. Hulk Hogan, you talked about the Triangle of Love. Jesse Ventura says there's a problem. Explain. Well, you don't mean, Gene, you get right to the heart of the matter with that question, brother. It's the love, man, that's going to supercharge the mega powers and tear down the Twin Towers. Ooh, yeah. Yes, man. What were your thoughts then? Oh, yeah, mean, Gene, I can still feel the pain when that cold steel bit into Miss Elizabeth's wrist right there. And when her muscles were torn, my muscles were yeah. torn. When her bone was bruised right there i felt the pain hulk hogan felt the pain and i can still feel the pain right now and hulk hogan that pain won't stop until the twin towers come crumbling down <laughs> oh yeah right now tonight on prime time yeah yeah you know and which gets me back to you know wwf and that really strong connection to donald trump who has appeared in wwf who's been in like I, I really feel like my generation has, like, this, this late uh, Gen X, early millennial generation was just bombarded with, like, massive amounts of, like, propaganda and, 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 and shit, you know, like, in the, in the same world where, where the two ends have been you know, drastically polarized, right? I, I look at it as, of course, because input in equals equals input out. And all of the input in, in coming, you know, from mass media and entertainment nowadays is, is just the most polarized. Fox News tells you that, you know, Trump's gonna, Trump's gonna do it. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's gonna get those dastardly Clintons where, where you know uh, MSNBC and Rachel Maddow are, are on the you know uh, on the impeachment watch. You know he's yeah. they're gonna get him. They're gonna get him. You know and just being and they you're you're familiar with the boiling frogs analogy, correct? Yes, I, I hear it's literally not true. A frog actually will jump out of the water when it gets yeah, okay. to the top. But it's, <laughs> I would hope so. so. I would I, I would hope yeah. so. I mean, it'd be pretty. Uh, yeah, you think it would just? Why wouldn't frogs sit there? But yeah, it, as an analogy, I, I, I think that great. is applicable in in this situation. Is this that like the heat has slowly been ramped up, and and I see this as 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 part of of the subplot to Back to the Future is. The heat is slowly being ramped up. Um, you go back to 1883 when Doc Brown was, you know, uh, gone back to, to, to the Old West, and the entertainment was, you know, sci-fi, right? For, for the intellectual, was sci-fi writers like Jules Verne, right? Mm. Which mm. the, the, the uh, sci-fi writers Jules Verne uh, and, and the like really shaped the earliest part of, of the 20th century. And I think in, in, in a large part had a lot of, uh, uh, a lot to do with the ability for uh, uh, the technological advancements. You know, it, once, once that, that meme or that, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, that egregore is out in, in, in into mass consciousness, uh, then, then, it, then it becomes a reality. So, so the sci-fi writers are writing this and, and, turning it in, into reality. Back in 1883, there was very little media beyond beyond the written word. So we go forward to 1955 when Marty's you know, family gets their first television. Hmm. And what, what, what do we see in the town square? Man, it's pristine. The lawn is cut, you know. Um, there's a yeah. soda pop fountain. And, and in the background is playing, Mr. Sandman. You know, it's, it's yeah, very sure. quaint. It's very but, pristine, yeah. 
but, but, but consider what, what Mr. Sandman was. That's a song about a woman saying, hey, you know, like, bring me something tasty, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and not in, not in a, 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 a sugary sense, right? right? It is presented, it is presented as, 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 as wholesome, and it sounds very wholesome, but that woman is saying, bring me something tasty, bring okay. me a choice piece of meat, you know, like, and this relative to, to the, the, the rest of the references to pop culture and music in Back to the Future, I think are, are very telling. Well, and let me ask you uh, like, something I observed, even like as a little kid watching Back to the Future, I felt there was a point being made about the effect of television on the family. So you've got the 1885 yes, family, yes, this okay, is, this and they're is exactly a family together. And then the, where it really struck me was the 1955 father wheels the TV in and says, now we can watch this show having dinner. And it suggests, that it's the images that it's a real family event, that the, the family coalesce and come together around the entertainment. And of course, like, you know, that's not what happens. Actually, TVs tend to disintegrate families because everyone is, um, you know, absorbed into the box run. And you can see the father becoming more absorbed as the dinner goes on and not interacting as much. And prior to that, but in 1985, um, George McFly is not engaged at all at the dinner table in the conversation. The same He's looking over, is it the same program? It's the same program. There we it's, go, it's there we the go. Same it, Zoom. Like, yes. Finally yes. in 2015, I'm, I'm so uh, glad you picked up on Marty this. McFly's son comes in and puts like six TV channels on. He doesn't, I don't know if he yes. speaks to his family first, yes. but he's just straight in at the yes. TV. I, so I, I, I thought there was like a social commentary there about the, the TV. You're 100% correct. You are 100% correct. Um, so also consider in 1955, uh, Marty's grandfather is there at the table, you know, um, and at some point Marty's, you know, he's like, I got to go. I got to go to Doc Brown's house. And he's, you know, he's obviously acting really weird. He just, you know, he's flown back into time. He's eating dinner with his grandparents, yeah. right? Uh, so he runs out and the dad says, Lorraine, if you ever have a kid like that, I'll disown you. But Lorraine does have a kid like that. He doesn't disown her, right? But what has what is, what is made this change? What has made this change? And I think it's exactly what you said, that ever-present, ever-connected, you know, mind manipulation device that's been implanted into, in, into what was once family time. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, let me let me continue on this tangent for a little bit, okay? So, I think there's been a a, a real concerted effort, and I, I think Back to the Future is 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 illustrating this perfectly. There's been a real concerted effort to divide divide the family, divide the generations, right? So, uh, the easiest way to do that is to take young impressionable children and and manipulate and mold their minds at, 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 a, you know, at, a, at an age that it's easy to do. So what do Disney films typically have? They typically have a young heroine who is you know, either an orphan or has a single parent home and their parents are typically hapless or whatever and they need to go seek out the you know, magical mage to, you know, to set things mm. right. The, mm. kids, the kids are always smarter than the parents. Right, their parents are just dumb and don't, you know, can't, can't, can't make things work. Right. Um, I think this is 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 evident in 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 what Marty's dad is saying to Lorraine as well. If you ever have a kid like that, I'll disown you. But Marty does have a kid like that. They don't disown him. But Marty is a product of of 
of his generation, which was pop culture, man. It, you know, if you look across that movie, it's skateboards and Toyotas mm. and Pepsi Cola and Max Hedrome and, you know, like just, it, it's vomiting pop culture all yeah. over you. And that's turned Marty, Marty into the, in, into, to, to the kid that he is, you know, and pop culture, I think also helped with that divide between the generations. And it, it back in the fifties, the popular haircut was the crew cut. You know, mm. it, it was that military style yeah. with the horn rim yeah. glasses that, that, that were that were military issue, right? That was the look. And then when television got into everybody's home, and at some point, it stopped being family time and it started being, you know, like mind manipulation time. They started letting the hair grow long, and they, they had entertainment that was specifically for the kids. And they, mm. the, 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 the counterculture was, was very present in, in the television, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, who knows. But I think at some point, the counterculture being present in, you know, in, in television, the Beatles being on Ed Sullivan, and, you know, and then at some point, the Beatles turning from I want to hold your hand into, uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper uh, <laughs> was done on some level intentionally and it really shaped that younger generation to to this and i like i said i think that battle between the conservatives and liberals that was going on behind the scenes at this time had spilled over and this is where you see the influence of the liberals into universities and 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 film you know uh, which is what you would see back in the 60s you know the the university protest and and a lot of a lot of media uh, promoting these these images to the to the younger generation, and it's very evident through through rock and roll. Um, Back to the Future shows this uh, in Marty playing you know the Chuck Berry tune, and the guy saying Chuck, oh you know it's your cousin Marvin. This is that sound you've been looking for, right? And 1955 America, who you know has been introduced to Mr. Sandman, who's really a story about you know a lady wanting some dick, right? Uh, loves this, loves this. But when he breaks into like 1985 Van Halen style, yeah. they're, they're flabbergasted. They're, you know, he does, he does the whole eruption, finger tapping, yeah, yeah. you know, and they have no idea. And what does Marty say? He says, well, maybe you guys aren't ready for it, but your kids are going to love it. So remember in the first movie, Marty trying out for, for the talent show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's playing a, he's playing a Huey Lewis tune, right? And... He's, but he's playing a Huey Lewis tune with a very Van Halen edge to it. Right. Right. Uh, so, flashback to the to uh, uh, the judges of the talent show. That's Huey Lewis. Were you familiar with this? It rings a bell. Now you see, yeah, yeah I, Huey, I forgot Huey that. Lewis, actually, but I'm sure Lewis I did is, know that. Yeah. Huey Lewis is the judge of the talent show, and what does Huey Lewis tell Marty? He has the bullhorn and he says, "I'm afraid you're just too darn loud." He's yeah. playing his song. He's playing Huey Lewis's song, and Huey Lewis is like, "No, no, no, no! When you turn it up to the '80s kid style, hey, you're, you're too loud." Huey Lewis was not something the kids were interested in in '85. It's something the adults liked, you know. Uh, so um, this this theme is is evident, like you said, in the TV in front of in front of the dinner table, and then Marty's father eating the you know peanut. Uh, 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 brittle and and being very disconnected from Joey who yeah. didn't come home from jail and then the son who's got you know eight thousand million channels you know uh, coming on it, it, this is evident this is this is a storyline so if this is a storyline in a movie that predicts the future I'm hard pressed to think that it's 
an accident. I, I guess I'm hard pressed to think that, 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 that the predictions are an accident. I, I'm, I'm thinking that in a movie that tells you mass entertainment and pop culture is warping your mind, guess what? That's what we're doing right now. And once again, I think that's evident with the the Kennedy, the first night they get the television set and, and mm. you know, the Kennedy debates. Then we'll go to, so right from there, Marty runs to Doc Brown's house. You know, he gets to Doc Brown's house and Doc Brown has got a mind reading device of all things, you mm. know? Mm. And he says, he says, okay, future boy, tell me who's the president of 1985. And Marty says, easy, Ronald Reagan. Which to Doc's response is, is like we said, it's laughable. He's, ah, Ronald Reagan, the actor, you know? And he's, you know what this means? This means this mind reading device doesn't work, right? He runs out, he's wise cracking, right? So we've gone from at the dinner table with Kennedy and the television to Ronald Reagan. Then the next scene, we have them fast forwarding through the camcorder where he says, no wonder your president has to look good on television. You know, everybody's got a portable you know, television studio with them. Two, Biff Tannen, being Donald Trump, you know, if, if all of these things are, 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 are what I think they are, then I'm hard pressed to think it's accidental that this movie is not on some level trying to, to manipulate you or, or trying to present these in your subconscious for, for, for whatever purpose. And probably, I don't know, to make the pill easier to swallow, I guess. Well, I mean, what motivation would you put on though? Because Back to the Future, it, it overwhelmingly seems like this very wholesome story right? Like, I feel my life was enriched for watching this. I couldn't say, you know, that has that magical quality to it, but there, there are these themes of heroism and goodness and overcoming adversity and sure, sure. Uh, you know, and people reaching their potential, really. When every time Marty interferes right. with the future for good, it works out fine, right? Which suggests that you don't have to not interfere with the timeline, rather it's like the intentionality. So when he arrives back in 1985, everything is better because his, his father went on this journey where he punched Biff Tannen and stood up to the bullies and so on, and, and life is, is altogether better. So that there is this kind of like real goodness that comes through the film, right? Where Biff always like fails in the end and Marty succeeds. And so how, I mean, how would you square that with these kind of darker messages of like... Uh, well, I, I, I would square that with, with viewing these, these darker messages through the... Uh, through the perspective of the hanged man and the tower tarot card, and that there are these unescapable, you know, dark events that are, uh, that you have no ability to change, you have no ability to control. So learn to accept the things that you cannot and change the things that you can, mm. where, where Marty's, Marty's father is the hanged man and he learns the things he can change. He knocks Biff's, Biff's ass out and becomes a successful, of course, science fiction writer, right? So uh, I think that's, that's the, the bigger universal message is, you know, in a world where there are these unavoidable tragic events like 9-11, like and there are these unavoidable, just disgusting displays of, of I don't know, theater and in, 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 in American politics uh, uh, particularly uh, understand that 
you have no control over this. And maybe, maybe viewing it from the, the guise of the hanged man or uh, in the, you know, the audience of, of Hamlet that play within a play, taking a step back and realizing you're just watching theater, you know? And at the point that I came with, to that understanding uh, because of, of Back to the Future, man, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I could care less about American politics. I could care because it doesn't matter. Sure, and I, you'd be I, watching you know, a film. I, it, 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 it is for show. It's all for theater. And I think, I think that if we spend enough time, we could go through uh, the theater of American politics and, you know, find events that that have this what I call that allegorical fractalization, where it's a small piece of a larger allegory being, you know, displayed in in, in front of us, much like the Tower of Tarot card and the Hanged Man and 9-11 and, and Joaquin and Boaz do. I, I'm, but that's, that's probably the most like relieving perspective to, to, to view something as, as, that has been intentionally boiling frogs for us, you know? I wanna mention uh, just a couple of uh, other things. Yeah. So like, for instance, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, we were talking about the casting earlier. I think the casting of Christopher Lloyd is is really interesting, and I think it's uh, done um, intentionally to be this way. Christopher Lloyd uh, continues to play uh, roles where lightning and electricity uh, play significant roles. Uh, you know, in in that Zeus motif, right? Um, I got some notes here. Uh, so in Roger Rabbit. Uh, he plays the evil character who at the end is is shooting lightning from his fingers. Um, in the movie, The Page Master, he is a uh, a wizard with with you know ability to to zap lightning from his 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 wand. Uh, Anastasia, he plays um, oh what's the guy's name in the Anastasia deal? Um, Rasputin. Rasputin, yes, he plays right. Rasputin and, right. and has, and in the movie has has abilities to fight with lightning. Uh, the Adams family, he also plays Festin, yeah. who can turn on who can turn on uh, light bulbs and is you know getting shocked in the electric chair. So there's some relationship to this like archetypal like uh, 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 typecasting of Christopher Lloyd as this Zeus type of individual who mm. who casts lightning from his hands and. Weirdly, there's also a relationship with the Griffith Tunnel and mm. and um, um, like three films, Christopher Lloyd, like Christopher yes, Lloyd goes through that tunnel. And it, okay, granted, it might be just okay if you're Universal Studios, that's the tunnel you use when you want a tunnel. I don't know, right? Uh, so but, the, the Griffith Tunnel um, is is in the tunnel uh, uh, leading. It's a, it, the, the Griffith Observatory uh, there in 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 um, Los Angeles uh, yeah. is. Yeah, the observatory, right? So the tunnel is a tunnel that connects a road that runs underneath the mountain from from where the the Griffith Observatory uh, is. I I think there is some message in the like conduit of of the Griffith Observatory being some sort of allegory as conduit between the star, the real stars, yeah. the stars here on Earth. And you know the message that's coming out of Hollywood, right? Um, so several times, you know, uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd, in between to get to Toontown in in uh, Roger Rabbit, he must travel through 
through. Uh, and he, he does something nefarious, doesn't he? He spills, is it dip or tax on the yes. road? He does something yes. to like, yes. hurt the car when it comes out, right at the edge of that right, tunnel. Right, right, right. And, and he and rescues Marty McFly. Correct. Yeah, Correct. he rescues Marty McFly uh, right at the edge of the tunnel. Right, right. And, and funny, the, uh, and the page master, uh, Macaulay Culkin's character, runs, uh, rides his bike through this, you know, scary Griffith uh, Observatory, crashes his bike at the end of the Griffith Observatory, or, or the, the Griffith Tunnel, and is then transported into, you know, the world of the Page Master, where he meets, you know... Uh, okay, that's Paul then, because there's another film where Christopher Lloyd plays an alien, and he... Uh, um, I, and I, that, I'm not familiar with that, but... He yeah, steals some technology to get their yeah. ship home, and they, they go through the tunnel and that too. So yeah, I can't... Wow. I wonder if Christopher wow. Lloyd thinks that's weird that he keeps shooting sort of relatable films. I, I would love to ask that tunnel, you know. You know? Um, so Christopher Lloyd actually had uh, appearance on Spin City with uh, um, oh, okay. Michael J. Fox as yeah. well. You know, Donald Trump and Christopher Lloyd both. Christopher Lloyd ends up coming on the show and pronouncing to Marty McFly, you know, oh, here's, here's my deal. I'm God. And then you see, you know, this character where he, he continually represents this Zeus motif. Yeah. I find that like very interesting and, and probably not accidental, right? Uh, what else do I have as notes? Um, okay, so um, I wanted to get into just the last uh, little connection between Kennedy, Reagan, and Trump. Um, there's a really strong element of, uh, mafioso connections with with Kennedy with mm -hmm. uh, Reagan and the Screen Actors Guild uh, especially during the time that Reagan was in you know in Hollywood uh, as well and, and, and right. Trump right so Kennedy's father was obviously a mob, uh, you know a mobster he made he his fortune right, right. so I, I doubt that even needs to be explored uh, you know the, the connections of, of Ruby uh, who killed Oswald you know also being uh, tied to, to yeah. uh, the Dallas Mafia so um, in fact, the, the story goes that, that Kennedy's father had a, had a debt to, uh, or he had ripped off the Jewish mafia there in New York right. and um, owed, owed them quite a sum of money uh, and couldn't or wouldn't, I don't know, pay up. So uh, apparently Joe Kennedy went to Sam Giancana, who was, you know, the boss of all bosses type of guy and says, look, you got to help me out. And so Sam Giancana says, Okay, Joe, here's what I'm willing to do. You know, when we get your boys into, in, in, into place here, they look the other way with my business. And Kennedy says, and, the, and you'll get the Jewish guys to look the other way? He goes, yeah, done, done deal, right? And so th they agree to it. Um, when, so election night, uh, 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 Nixon is, it's looking like Nixon may win this election. And according to, to speculation, Kennedy gets on the phone with Giancana and has him call his Chicago mob associates mm. and ha you know, the daily the, with daily and, and, and that, that whole crew uh, and has them essentially stuff the ballot box. Mm. And, you know, Kennedy surprisingly wins in Illinois, thanks to the turnout in, in Chicago. Um, so immediately when Kennedy and, and his brother Bobby is the attorney general get into, get into office, they start going after the mob. Yeah. You know, they didn't make this deal. Their, their, their dad did. They didn't make this deal. Their dad did. And Giancana is, he's pissed. Um, and uh, John knows this. John knows this. And John knows this because him and, and Giancana are sleeping with the same woman, right? So she's, she's passing information back and forth. So 
in 63, when Kennedy is shot I, and Oswald's there and Ruby's there to silence, the, the, the mob connections with that are glaringly obvious. Uh, Reagan and the Screen Actors Guild, there, there seems to be a, a lot of connection to that time period and when he was president of the Screen Actors Guild to the Teamsters getting, uh, getting a lot of their uh, you know, foothold into Hollywood as far as making the sets and being the drivers and, mm. and, and what. Mm. So they, they take hold uh, uh, during this Reagan era. Um, so th th there's a connection uh, with the mafia there as well as, you know, uh, the actor and the president, Ronald Reagan. And then Trump. Trump is about as mafioso connected as, you know, Don Corleone, man. Uh, his, his mentor and protege was, was uh, Roy Cohn. Are you familiar with Roy Cohn? Roy Cohn okay. might be the, the largest piece of shit to ever walk the face of the earth, legitimately. Um, he was uh, a mafia attorney. He was um, he worked with uh, McCarthy during the McCarthy uh, uh, trial shit, you know, just stirring up dirt on on all the communists and, and, and Hollywood, you know, surprisingly. Um, he was helping, you know, Hoover with the Hoover files. He is just an utter piece of shit. Uh, back in the 80s, Roy Cohn was was the lawyer for mafia-connected uh, figures in New York and New Jersey back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, at this time, Donald Trump is partying with Roy, uh, with Roy Cohn in Studio 54. What did Donald Trump get, get his money from? He was making casinos and, and construction in New York and New Jersey during the 70s and 80s, which it, it, it's not even arguable that that was a racket for, for the mafia, you know. There seems to be a connection with with mafia connected presidents, Back to the Future, and then actors. Um, and so I'm also very compelled with a, a connection between uh, Kennedy and Reagan, uh, both being shot by guys from Dallas, right? Mm. So Kennedy, uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald grew up. I, I'm from Dallas, so I'm I'm, I'm pretty familiar with, with with the area. But Kennedy uh, uh, or Oswald was from an area, Oak Cliff. And then the guy who shot uh, uh, Reagan, um, Mark David Chapman, is that his name? No, I don't think no, that's, so. That, that, that's John Lennon. Uh, John Hinckley, excuse me, John Hinckley. That's John Hinckley. Uh, he's from, uh, I think, Ardmore, Oklahoma, but grew up and sp his family spent most of their life in, in Dallas, Texas. So um, there is a connection. So frankly, if I were Trump, I would stay out of Dallas, Texas, buddy. <laughs> but I, I, there seem to be these weird parallels between these individuals. Um, and this will get me to, to my last little, little note here on just the significance of 9-11, those dates themselves, German history, American history, Nick's, or, 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 or Kennedy, Germany, the United States, and, and Reagan, right? So... September 11th and November 9th, and depending on which dating format you use, and you guys in the UK, November 9th will be 9-11. So, yeah, 9-11. Right? So, okay. actually, so September in, 11th actually happened on 11-9 over here. Right, correct. No, no one correct. says that, but you know. Right, right. And, and, and here in the United States, it's 9-11, and mm -hmm. we would say the same for November 9th. Or, or in, in uh, uh, Europe, we would say that's 11-9, that's but that's 9-11 that's in Europe. So, every significant event in I would say the 20th century and in uh, German history has happened essentially on November the 9th. There was um, 
the abdication of the throne in 1918, which was the beginning of the Weimar Republic, happened right. on, on November 9th. Um, there was Hitler's failed uh, Beerhof, Beer where he and, um, um, oh my God, what's the, what, what is the general's name? Uh, anyway, he, him and the Nazis tried to overthrow uh, the Weimar government, uh, were, were uh, obviously unsuccessful, but this actually spurred Hitler into into popular consciousness and in, in, into Germany. So understand the the beer hall push the the, the uh, trial succeeding this was uh, was radio ca uh, broadcast and you know there there we go once again yeah. talking about the manipulation of mass media by by a guy who was sympathetic to the Nazi cause a guy named Hugenberg and he owned uh, practically all the media outlets in Germany and he. he Weirdly, the judge just let Hitler ramble for, you know, like hours and hours and hours and, and, and talk. And then they, they broadcast it, you know, all over, all right, over Germany. Okay. And this, you know, this popularized uh, Hitler. And so while Hitler was in, in, in prison for, you know, the failed coup attempt, uh, he wrote Mein Kampf. Right. And when he comes out, Mein Kampf, is, they, they, they publish it and it's actually a success. Right. Mm -hmm. Because everybody remembers, you know, these impassioned speeches this guy was making uh, during uh, uh, during his trial. Um, anyhow, so fast forward, uh, I want to say 1939 or yeah, 39, uh, I believe, was Reichskristallnacht. The night that you know the uh, Nazis had decided we've had enough of the Jews and we're going to smash all the windows of the okay. businesses, we're going to burn their businesses. Uh, so it's the night of broken glass. That was also uh, November 9th. Um, and then uh, also significant, November 9th, 1987 was uh, the day of the fall of the Ber the, the official date of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Be 89, um, would it? 89. Yeah, it wasn't 87. Okay. Yeah, okay. So 89. Um, so uh, uh, there's that. And then 9-11, conversely, in the United mm -hmm. States, has seemed to have some significance about in this, in this time period, right? So in 1941, the United States 9-11, uh, uh, September 11th, the United States begins construction on the Pentagon, you know, the central housing apparatus for, for what, you know, housed the defeat of the Nazis, mm -hmm. right? So... Uh, Fast forward that. So the, 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 what they began on, uh, on September 11th, 1941, was the defeat of, of Germany, right? And then and no, uh, and September 11th, the European September 11th, Germany at some point reunifies under, you know, this, this, this protectorate essentially of the United States, mm -hmm. you know, on 9-11. On 9-11, uh, September 11th, 1990, George H.W. Bush gives his famous, you know, NWO speech. You know, we, we, we're now on the cusp of a new world order. And this was, you know, essentially uh, the, the speech that, that launched the uh, uh, attacks into, into uh, uh, Iraq right, because yeah. of the, 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 the Kuwait war, right? 2013, uh, there was, uh, was the beginning, uh, September 11th was the beginning of the Benghazi incident. Okay. Um, uh, so there seems to be some cultural significance, and it's, I, I find it very telling that, you know, at the point that September 11th, we built the Pentagon, we defeated the Nazis, we make it a very symbolic show to have that, that uh, uh, wall torn down that, that Kennedy made that impassioned, ich bin ein Berliner speech, you know, in, in front of. Reagan is the one who tells, who tells uh, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, you know. 
and all of these events, all of these events happened on 9-11 and all of these, you know, major players and events have been okay, foretold back so, in the future. Well, I mean, when you pointed this stuff out before, it got me thinking along the lines of, so we, we undoubtedly see like numerical patterns in nature, okay? Like every circle, uh, its relationship sure. to its diameter is 3.1, blah, 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 right? Like every one in the whole universe, sure. every circle, okay? Uh, and actually there are no circles in the universe because they're abstract, you know, but right. they describe all the material world, right? So you like the, the whole, this philosophical question around mathematics and numbers like kind of fascinates me because you can never point to a number, right? So like I'm holding three fingers up, but is there a three there or is it just my fingers, right? So, but it, like, it does seem to me that, well, you can certainly the case that there is like, a, that math is real, okay? That the numbers are real and they exist somewhere, like in some primordial mind. And in, in fact, they're more real than the material world, right? Because they dictate motion and everything, right? So, I agree um, 100%. Energy. Absolutely. So, in the same way, then, like, if numbers are real, that numbers and other kind of archetypal forces could exist in a way that is more real than, than this world, and they play out in this way. Um, so in the same way that, you know, I mean, I think about like um, one, you can surround one sphere with 12 touching it, okay? And you can never get 13, okay? In the same way that you can get six circles touching one central circle and never seven, okay? I, I don't think this is actually, um, it was, wasn't proven until the 1950s that you couldn't get a 13th, but then, Absolutely certain you're never going to get a 13th in there. So I don't think it's a coincidence that you have like astrological systems in China and the West that have 12 surrounding one and disciples of 12 surrounding one. It seems to me there's something, there's a pattern there that's manifesting in different Absolutely. ways. And indeed, in my own life, okay, I can look back um, at like, you know, jobs, relationships, interests I've gotten into. Probably like years later, I go back and it's like, oh, bloody hell, that was the fool's journey. Yeah, like, I, I fell down a, a cliff backwards and I woke up and go, what the hell has just happened? There's a little dog barking at me or something like that, something warning me. And I just put one foot in front of the other. And then I met the empress and the, magi the magician, the empress, and then this happened. And then, I, then I sort of went, yeah. I was the hangman for a while and, and then the world. And I can trace it through and think, I can see like my life consists, I'm like, um, it consists of these archetypal patterns where there's something it's deeper allegorical playing out through man. me. So what I could then say, look at, and I'm, again, I'm just going to take it that there is something significant about nine and 11 for the moment, okay? And again, we could sit here and figure out mathematical ways to decipher whether the 11th of September and the 9th of November really are more significant than the 3rd of April or something, okay? We could, we could kind of, because there are all the dates on the calendar. But let's just take it that that's a given, right? That that, that is the thing there. Then what are we seeing... Um, like the playing out of some deeper archetypal force on, on the global stage. But of course, the other thing you have there is that if you do acknowledge that, that that's playing out, then you also have conscious imitation, right? So just as I can say, well, golly gosh, that whole episode of my life, it was like the fool's journey. And actually it's really helpful to think of it that way because if, if I can figure that out as it's going on, I can sort of see why things are going on. But you also have imitation. So you have art that is created around the fool's journey because writers and artists and uh, film producers become aware of archetypal patterns and they consciously weave it in. Star Wars, for example, is the conscious playing out of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. You know, absolutely, it, it's picking up an archetypal pattern and just so. Whilst your life, your own life, might um, play out the hero's journey in some way, 
you know, you might meet some wise old guy who gives you advice and then you have to go off and face some kind of inner darkness and overcome that. You can also, that can be also scripted, you know? So we, we have to say in studying this, it could, when, you, when you're seeing events, they could be arising out of the unconscious or they could be consciously put in by a mind aware of archetypal patterns. I, I, I agree. And, you know, where that line is in, in Back to the Future... Yeah, no, good luck deciphering that. I, I, I don't know, man. You know, because I, I definitely think what, you, what you're saying is 100% valid, you know, uh, but where that line is, I, 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 couldn't, I, I couldn't gather. Um, I'm also struck by, by what you're saying with, with just the uh, reality of, of numbers and in, 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 in what this, you know, universe mm. is. Uh, I'm willing to, to consider that perhaps part of the, and for lack of a better word, the like program for this reality, you know, mm-hmm. is whatever algorithm is programmed for this reality is, is, is set up in such a way that these numbers, you know, the, the, like you were saying, the 12 and not the, the, the six or the 13, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is, is, it, it is significant. There's a reason that, you know, the 12 signs of the Zodiac can at some point have some real significant uh, uh, interpretation into an individual's life who was born under this sign of the Zodiac. And that uh, I've, I've made this argument before that perhaps in the event we lived in like a computerized matrix, right? What if, things like this and and these 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 patterns that we see these these archetypal stories that that get boiled down into into everything we see in everyday life and how we can relate them to our lives what if all of that were were a product of the need for a a computing space in order to to run our in order to to run our reality because consider what like the size of the server it would take to create a a universe so so realistic that the inhabitants didn't recognize you know a, a sims game where the sims in the, in the game didn't recognize that it was that, that it was uh, uh, a facsimile right mm-hmm. from my understanding from everything i've read scientists would say that would take a computer the size of mars right so instead of instead of writing in every piece of code like instead of writing in every line of an atom and every molecule of an atom we write in a tree and if somebody takes that bark off, then we write in that fractalized, you know, at, at that point, yeah. the, 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 the AI algorithm writes in that, like, that piece of fractalized bark. And then if we take that apart, we can write in that fractalized, but yeah. in order to save computing space, so that, and that's why we could, we could possibly see these patterns of 12 and, you know, 12 disciples and 12 signs of the zone. And I, that, that's, uh, I don't know, that's, that, that's one of the... Well, you're, you're, you're flipping the universe on its head there from a materialist paradigm, right? And you're flipping things like causality around, you know? So um, when we, like, lift up the mechanism of the car, the car doesn't drive because it has an engine in it. But when you lift the bonnet, an engine appears to justify why the car drives. Right, right, you, right, you right, right. right. So uh, I guess in that, in that very uh, McGill Connor... Uh, sort of way of looking at things perhaps this this reality was you know a facsimile of of something greater and that something greater is kind of lost interest doesn't you know like doesn't 
necessarily keep up with it, but the program is still running, right? Um, I, I, I like, and I guess that Gnostic sort of sort of sense, and that like, there is something greater, but maybe he's not your homeboy, <laughs> right? Or, or he doesn't care, you know, type of thing. I, like the, he just left the simulation on run, and 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 isn't checking back anymore. Well, well, you could go anywhere with that, couldn't you? I mean, you could yeah. go, I mean, because people, people do conceptualize the creator in different ways there, that he's, you know, kind of did it and set back and he created a program that sort of runs, but has a few glitches or or all the rising in a perfect, loving, perfectly, <laughs> excuse me, right, right, perfectly right, right. loving, all good, all knowing mind and everything is ordained for our greatest good. And, and, and so, you know, the, that's, and I, I don't know, they all seem to be non-falsifiable premises to me. You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Thank you for listening. That concludes the interview. So what do you make of all this? How could we find a way to objectively determine whether we are seeing a real phenomenon or not? If it is real, how could it possibly be so? How can we marry the seeming randomness of life with this high level of order? A little thing I discovered after recording, a making of Back to the Future documentary has been recently released on YouTube. Daniel and I talked about George McFly being hung upside down in the second film to depict the hanged man from Tarot. We also talked about how the second film adopts the pattern of Shakespeare's Hamlet, or the Osiris Smith, or the Lion King for that matter, with George being killed off. However, the documentary revealed that George had been hung upside down and killed off as the original actor wouldn't return for the sequel. So it was done for much more mundane reasons, to disguise him and not have him in the film. Does this contradict Daniel's observations or just add to the mystery? Whoa, this is heavy. Great Scott! Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future! Now why don't you make like a tree and get out of here?